Welcome to Stories of Iceland. Iceland is mostly open. There seem to be no new cases of the coronavirus. We will have limited travel to and from the country later in June. We don't know if that's a good idea. Of course, a second wave seems inevitable, sooner or later, if there is no vaccine. We had a little scare in May when my whole family got sick, and my older boy got a fever, but it didn't last long. I was assured that this was just a non-specific illness that was going around. The strange thing is that even with this assurance, I felt like, as the saying goes, a leper, because I couldn't go out in public without risking a coughing fit, which would have panicked everyone around me. I ended up feeling bad for thinking of the leper analogy when I read about a leper colony in Hawaii. It wasn't really like that. I just had to spend a few more days at home and got very little done. There seem to be ever more listeners and quite a few of them have decided to support me on Patreon. I am truly thankful. If you want to help me focus more of my energy towards this podcast, please support me on Patreon. That is patreon.com slash stories of Iceland. My newest supporters are Jay Corral, Emily Cooper, Daniel Osher, Julie Fisher, Lena Gatt, Anstis, and Anne F. I'd like to thank all of them, especially Troy Williams, Kristen Rose, Robin Williams and Catherine Matthews, friends of the podcast. Join them at patreon.com slash stories of Iceland. There is extra material there. But this is Stories of Iceland, and this is episode 32, The Boy Who Didn't Know What Fear Was. Iceland is in the North Atlantic. Its capital city is Reykjavik. Often, before I tell you a tale, I will say that it is of a certain category or another. Folklorists tend to do that, but sometimes forget to tell our audience that these categories are applied after the fact and a large number of tales don't fit neatly into them. Today's story is such a tale. I could call it a ghost story, but that is just a part of it. In another part, there are echoes of the Edison sagas. On the whole, the story is quite comic in tone. Some of the story is set in a very specific site in Iceland, Skálholt, the seat of the Bishop of the South, East and West of Iceland. The rest of the story could be set anywhere in Iceland, or even anywhere in the world. I have to mention that besides the ghost element, there is also a little violence towards the end, as there is often in folk tales. The boy who didn't know what fear was. 
There was once a boy so courageous and spirited that his family despaired of ever frightening him into obedience. So they took him to the parish priest to be brought up. But the priest could not subdue him in the least, though the boy never showed either obstinacy or ill-temper towards him. Once in the winter, three dead bodies were brought to be buried, but as it was late in the afternoon, they were put into the church till next day, when the priest would be able to bury them. In those days, it was customary to bury people without coffins, and only wrapped up in grave clothes. The priest ordered these three bodies to be laid a little distance apart, across the middle of the church. After nightfall, the priest said to the boy, "'Run into the church and fetch me the book I left on the altar.' With his usual willingness, he ran into the church, which was quite dark, and halfway to the altar he stumbled against something which lay on the floor and fell down on his face. Not in the least alarmed, he got up again, and after groping about, found that he had stumbled over one of the corpses." which he took in his arms and pushed into the side benches out of his way. He tumbled over the other two and disposed of them like the first. Then, taking the book from the altar, he left the church, shut the door behind him, and gave the volume to the priest, who asked him if he had encountered anything extraordinary in the church. Not that I can remember, said the boy. The priest asked again, did you not find three corpses lying across your passage? Oh, yes, replied he, but what about them? Did they not lie in your way? Yes, but they did not hinder me. The priest asked, how did you get to the altar? The boy replied, I stuck the good folk into the side benches, where they lie quietly enough. The priest shook his head, but said nothing more that night. Next morning he said to the boy, You must leave me. I cannot keep near me any longer one who is shameless enough to break the peace of the dead. The boy, unabashed, bade farewell to the priest and his family, and wandered about some time without a home. Once he came to a cottage where he slept the night, and there the people told him that the bishop of Skaulholt had recently died. So the next day he went off to Skaulholt, arriving there in the evening, and asked for a night's lodging. The people said to him, You may have it and be welcome, but you must take care of yourself. Is there any reason to take care? asked the lad. They told them that after the death of the bishop no one could stay in the house after nightfall because of a haunting and that on this account everyone had to leave the place after twilight. The boy answered, Well and good, that will suit me just fine. The people told him that such levity was not appropriate, given the seriousness of the matter. At twilight the people all left the place, taking leave of the boy whom they did not expect to see again alive. When they had all gone, the boy lighted a candle, examined every room in the house till he came to the kitchen, where he found large quantities of smoked mutton hung up to the rafters. So, as he had not tasted meat for some time, and had a large appetite, he cut some of the dried mutton off with his knife, and placed the pot on the fire, which was still burning, 
to cook the meat. When he had finished cutting up the meat and had put the lid on the pot, he heard a voice from the top of the chimney which said, "'May I fall?' The lad answered, "'Yes, why not?' Then fell down to the floor of the kitchen half a giant, had arms, hands, and body down to the waist, and lay there motionless. After this he heard another voice from the chimney saying, "'May I fall?' "'If you like,' said the boy, "'why not?' Accordingly, down came another part of the giant, from the waist to the thighs, and lay on the floor motionless. Then he heard a third voice from the same direction, which said, "'May I fall?' "'Of course,' he replied. "'You must have something to stand upon.' So a huge pair of legs and feet came down and lay by the rest of the body motionless. After a bit, the boy, finding this want of movement rather tedious, said, Since you have contrived to get yourself all in, you had better get up and go away. Upon this, the pieces crept together, and the giant rose on his feet from the floor, and without uttering a word, stalked out of the kitchen. The lad followed him till they came to a large hall, in which stood a wooden chest. The ghost opened the chest, and the lad saw that it was full of money. Then the ghost took the money out in handfuls, poured it like water over his head till the floor was covered with heaps of it, and, having spent half the night thus, spent the other half piling the gold back into the chest in the same manner. The boy stood by and watched him filling the chest again, and gathered all the stray coins together by sweeping his great arms violently over the floor, as if he dreaded to be interrupted before he could get them all in, which the lad assumed must be because the day was approaching. When the ghost had shut the coffer, he rushed past the lad as if to get out of the hall, but the latter said to him, "'Don't be in too great a hurry.' "'I must make haste,' replied the other, "'for the day is dawning.' But the boy took him by the sleeve and begged him to remain yet a little longer for their friendship's sake. At this the ghost grew angry, and, clutching hold of the youth, said, "'Now you shall delay me no longer.' But the latter clung tight to him, and slipped out of the way of every blow he dealt, and some time passed away in this kind of struggle. It happened, however, at last, that the giant turned his back to the open door, and the boy, seeing his chance, tripped him up and butted him with his head, so that the other fell heavily backwards, half in and half out of the hall, and broke his spine upon the threshold. At the same moment, the first ray of dawn struck his eyes through the open door, and he instantly sank into the ground in two pieces, one each side of the door of the hall. Then the courageous boy, though half dead from fatigue, made two crosses of wood and drove them into the ground where the two parts of the ghost had disappeared. This done, he fell asleep till, when the sun was well up, the people came back to Skaulholt. They were amazed and rejoiced to find him still alive, asking him whether he had seen anything in the night. Nothing out of the common, he said. 
So he stayed there all that day, both because he was tired and because the people did not want him to go. In the evening, when the people began, as usual, to leave the place, he begged them to stay, assuring them that they would not be troubled again by the ghost. But in spite of his assurances, they insisted upon going, though this time they left him without any fear for his safety. When they were gone, he went to bed and slept soundly till morning. On the return of the people, he told them all about his struggle with the ghost, showed them the crosses he had set up, and the chest full of money in the hall, and assured them that they would never again be troubled at night, so they need not leave the place. They thanked him most heartily for his spirit and courage, then asked him to name any reward he would like to receive, whether money or other precious things, inviting him in addition to remain with them as long as he chose. He was grateful for their offers, but said... I do not care for money, nor will I stay longer with you. The next day he addressed himself to his journey, and no persuasion could induce him to remain at Skaulholt, for he said, I have no more business here, as you can now, without fear, live in the bishop's house. And, taking leave of them all, he directed his steps northwards into the wilderness. For a long time nothing new befell him, until one day he came to a large cave into which he entered. In a smaller cave within the other he found twelve beds, all in disorder and unmade. As it was yet early, he thought he could do no better than employ himself in making them, and having made them, threw himself into the one nearest to the entrance, covered himself up, and went to sleep. After a little while he awoke and heard the voices of the men talking in the cave, wondering who had made the beds for them, saying that whoever he was they were much obliged to him for his pains. He saw, on looking out, that they were twelve armed men of noble aspect. When they had had supper they came into the inner cave, and eleven of them went to bed. But the twelfth man, whose bed was next to entrance, found the boy in it, and calling the others, they rose and thanked the lad for having made the beds for them, and begged him to remain with them as their servant, for they said they never found time to do any work for themselves, as they were compelled to go out every day at sunrise to fight their enemies, and never return till night." The last asked them why they were forced to fight day after day. They answered that they had over and over again fought and overcome their enemies, but that though they killed them overnight, they always came to life again before morning and would come to the cave and slay them all in their beds if they were not up and ready on the field at sunrise. In the morning the cavemen went out fully armed, leaving the lad behind to look after the household work. About noon he went into the same direction as the men had taken, in order to find out where the battlefield was, and as soon as he had spotted it in the distance, ran back to the cave. In the evening the warriors returned, weary and dispirited, but were glad to find the boy had arranged everything for them, so that they had nothing more to do than eat their supper and go to bed. When they were all asleep, 
The boy wondered to himself how it could possibly come to pass that their enemies rose every night from the dead. So moved with curiosity was he, that as soon as he was sure that his companions were fast asleep, he took what of their weapons and armor he found to fit him best, and snuck out of the cave, making off in the direction of the battlefield. There was nothing at first to be seen but corpses and trunkless heads, so he waited a little time to see what would happen. About dawn he perceived a mound near him open of itself, and an old woman in a blue cloak came out with a glass vial in her hand. He noticed her go up to a dead warrior, and having picked up his head, smear his neck with some ointment out of the vial, and place the head and trunk together. Instantly the warrior stood erect, a living man. The hag repeated this to two or three, until the boy, seeing now the secret of the thing, rushed up to her and stabbed her to death, as well as the men she had raised, who were yet stupid and heavy, as if after sleep. Then, taking the while, he tried whether he could revive the corpses with the ointment, and found on experiment that he could do so successfully. So he amused himself for a while in reviving the men and killing them again, till at sunrise his companions arrived on the field. They were mightily astonished to see him there, and told him that they had missed him as well as some of their weapons and armor, but they were rejoiced to find their enemies lying dead on the field, instead of being alive and waiting them in battle array and asked the lad how he had got the idea of thus going at night to the battlefield, and what he had done. He told them all that had passed, showed them the vial of ointment, and, in order to prove its power, smeared the neck of one of the corpses, who at once rose to his feet, but was instantly killed again by the cavemen. They thanked the boy heartily for his service, and begged him to remain among them, offering him at the same time money for his work. He declared that he was quite willing, paid or unpaid, to stay with them, as long as they liked to keep him. The cavemen were well pleased with this answer, and, having embraced the lad, set to work to strip their enemies of their weapons, made a heap of them with the old woman on top, and burned them, and then, going into the mound, appropriated to themselves all the treasures they found there. After this they proposed the game of killing each other, to try how it was to die, as they could restore one another to life again. So they killed each other. But by smearing themselves with the ointment, they once again returned to life. Now this was a great sport for a while. But once, when they had cut off the head of the lad, they put it on again, back to front, and as the lad saw himself behind, he became as if mad with fright, and begged the men to release him by all means from such a painful sight. But when the cave folk had run to him, cutting off his head, and placed it on all right again, he came back to his full senses, and was as fearless as ever before. The boy lived with them afterwards, and no more stories are told about him. I did say that this tale was quite a mix of types. The two first parts seem like they could be any Icelandic ghost story, but then the third part starts 
as if it were a wonder tale such as Snow White's or Goldilocks and the Three Bears. Then the Edison sagas are represented by the warriors who come back to life to fight another day. But that is it for today. Thanks to Emily Cooper, Julie Fisher, Lenagat Anstis, Emily Harper, Evan Williams, Jon Helgeson, Crystal Bath, Austin Yule, and all my other supporters. And as always, special thanks to Troy Williams, Kristen Rose, Robin Williams, and Catherine Matthews, friends of the podcast. I am Olignes Soliason, and this has been Stories of Iceland, episode 32, The Boy Who Didn't Know What Fear Was. (laughs) 